Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we take a look at the change of dates for the Africa Cup of Nations as the 2021 edition moves back to January and February. Plus, this month marks 10 years since the attack on the Togo team bus ahead of the 2010 Nations Cup in Angola, as shootings left three members of the Togo delegation dead and nine others injured. We remember what happened. Then I was observing the panorama, you see, the countryside. Then suddenly... We hear bullets. Pam, 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 pam. More on this harrowing story later. Plus, in the English Premier League, we ask whether Liverpool can beat Arsenal's record of 49 games unbeaten. But let's start with the big news that the 2021 Africa Cup of Nations will be played in Cameroon in January and February. The tournament was scheduled to take place in June and July, but was changed because of the unfavourable weather in the country at that time of the year. So it will start on the 9th of January. That's less than a year from now. Well, last year's Nations Cup was held in June and July for the first time in Egypt, and it went well. But the change back to a January start means that the tournament will not clash with the expanded FIFA Club World Cup being held in China in June 2021. Well, Ida, no surprise we saw this one coming, as June and July is in the rainy season in Cameroon. Plus, there was this clash with the Club World Cup. Well, I'll put it simply, Steve. CAF is playing ping-pong with African football because the the indecision is simply too much. I mean, when they made the decision to host the, the 2021 AFCON in Cameroon, you have to ask yourself, wasn't the topic of weather evaluated then? Why are they putting the blame on, um, quote-unquote, unfavorable climatic conditions, as it were? It's nuts. And I think more importantly... We have to ask ourselves, what does this really mean for readiness of infrastructure in Cameroon? And not just the stadiums where the games will be played. We're talking training facilities, hospitality and accommodation, because as a rule, the host nation needs to have infrastructure well in place at least six months to the tournament date. So, Steve, we have to ask ourselves, are we looking at something that's feasible Or are we just playing a game where later on in the course of 2020, there'll be an announcement that the likes of Morocco will now be hosting the 2021 Afghan? Yeah, so now we go back to the club versus country rows as the Europe-based players will be away from their clubs for up to six weeks. And we didn't have to go through this in Egypt last year. Short thing. I mean, we didn't hear too many rows, save for maybe Guinea's Nabi Keita to do with the Liverpool situation. But then again, Steve, how tired were the high profile players that actually made it for the competition? Because you can't tell me that the likes of Sadio Mane and Mo Salah were at the top of their game during the 2019 Nations Cup. Um, As for the argument, I mean, it's age old. (laughs) It's multifaceted and frankly will never end, you know, because um, the thing is in January, February, the debate is that the clubs don't want to release the players and that the players themselves also don't want to give their all in the tournament 
fearful of any mid-season injuries. But here's the thing. In June, July, the issue is that the players are visibly worn out, as we saw in Egypt. And they're still fearful, by the way. The only difference is that this time it's of getting preseason injuries. So you see, Steve, it's all tricky, you know. Uh, but ultimately, I think this also points to a very obvious problem of the fact that Africa and CAF has always depended so much on European-based players to raise the profile of uh, these sorts of tournaments. I mean, some of the greatest African legends played the African Steve during the January-February period and actually went on to perform for the clubs. I mean, we're talking the likes of Etor, Toure, Drogba and so many others who played the Nations Cup at the start of the year and then went on and continued with their clubs. But all in all, ultimately, I think that Look, I think that CAF should stop using these players as pawns in their indecision and in their politics. Well, it certainly won't be popular with the European clubs. And Ida, we have to ask, what's the long-term future of the Nations Cup? Will it stay in this January-February slot? Uh, Will we try the June and July slot again? And will we end up maybe having the tournament every four years instead of every two years? And also, uh, some asking, is the Nations Cup being pushed around by FIFA and by European football when maybe CAF should stand their ground? Yes, 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 Steve, to almost everything that you've asked because for all the flaws that his administration held former CAF president Issa Hayatu held firm on such decisions and on such issues and you could see that within his regime the tradition of the nation's cup was actually maintained FIFA continues to disrespect African football and CAF continues to turn the other cheek time after time I mean, FIFA set the 2021 Club World Cup knowing fully well that it would interfere with the summer Afghan. And now CAF has once again found itself pandering to Europe. You look at it and you wonder, I mean, how do the powers that be think the constant indecision paints their image to the world? I mean, Steve, they just came from cancelling their contract with Lagardère, still in court over that, and now this. Will the big companies, will the sponsors really want to be associated with such a federation? And Steve, don't forget that um, 2022 will actually pose a huge problem. I mean, we ain't seen nothing yet, you know, because uh, the World Cup will be held in Qatar. That will be in late November 2022. So if CAF does maintain this January, February Afghan, then it means that the Nations Cup will happen one month after the World Cup. Tell me in which parallel universe that would be possible. You know, it was supposed to be the year of 2020 vision, Steve. Yes, pun intended. (laughs) It was supposed to be the year of foresight. But all we seem to be doing in African football, frankly, is regressing. Yes, well, it's a big talking point, this. We're asking for your views on social media. What do you think about the change of dates for next year's Nations Cup in Cameroon? Uh, The factors are the rainy season being on in Cameroon in June and July, uh, plus this clash with the FIFA Club World Cup, which is on in China in the middle of next year. Uh, But uh, moving the Nations Cup takes us back to the club versus country rows as the Europe-based players will be away from their clubs for as much as six weeks. So tell us, what do you think about the change of dates for the Nations Cup? 
you can go to our Facebook page, that's Planet Sport Football Africa, and post a comment there or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. What do you think about the change to next year's Nations Cup dates? Now, at last week's Confederation of African Football's Awards, one of the most dreadful incidents in the history of African football was remembered as the former Togo national team goalkeeper Kojavi Obilali received a standing ovation as he walked onto the stage on crutches to receive a special award in a highly emotional moment. Now, this month marks 10 years since the attack on the Togo team bus ahead of the 2010 Nations Cup in Angola, as shootings left three members of the Togo delegation dead and nine others injured, including Obilale. Togo were to play their group games in Cabinda, which is separate from the rest of Angola, bordering Congo-Brazzaville and DR Congo. So they trained in Pointe Noire in Congo and then drove across the border to Cabinda, about 100 kilometres away. But when they crossed the border, led by vehicles from the Angolan security forces, shots were fired by members of a group that was calling for Cabinda's independence from Angola. In 30 minutes of horror, three Togolese were killed. That's the bus driver, Mario Adjua, the team's assistant coach, Amelete Abalo, and the media officer, Stanislas Oklu. Now, soon after the attack in 2010, Stuart spoke to Sam Elitza, who was Togo's technical director. He was on the bus, and here's his account of what happened. When we moved, we moved from Pointe Noire to Cabinda, we arrived to the border of Cabinda and Congo. Then we have been received by the authorities of Angola. So what I saw is that the authorities politically and the the military were expecting us because they knew that we were coming. Then what I noticed is that the military were very, very, very serious, unnormally serious. Then we moved normally with no problem. Right then I was enjoying the, the sides because it was a beautiful. Kabila is a, a beautiful country. Then I was observing the panorama, you see, the countryside. Then suddenly... We hear the bullets. Pam, 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 pam. Then all of us, we, we do what we could do to hide ourselves under the, the seats. Then, in my opinion, I was thinking that it would be something for two or three minutes. But it was lasting five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes. Oh, what is that? Then my song was Jesus, 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 Jesus. And five minutes later, I hear the coach, the, the one who, who died. I hear him very soon bald down the van. That means I, I got a bullet in my stomach. Then he was crying, 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 but nobody to save him. And a few minutes later, I hear the doctor of the, the team who said, blood is spreading from me, blood, blood, blood. And after that, I saw myself, you know, swimming in, in, in the blood. Then I said that maybe it is the last day for us. Then after that, it was lasting. Then I saw the driver who was driving us. I saw him trying to do his best to move, but I noticed that he was shorted. Then what I noticed after that, there was another driver who came to change him and to move on. That was the, the short story. You said you thought it was probably your last day. You felt that you were confronting death? Yes. But since it was lasting more than 15 minutes, more than 20 minutes, 
Because after the event, our doctor, who was a military, told us that it lasts 32 minutes. No. Then I was, I, have, I was not afraid because I'm, I can tell you, I'm not a, a young man. I was not afraid, but I told myself that it was maybe the last seconds for, for us, for all of us. Did you ever ask the question why God allowed this to happen or how did your face interact with what was happening? While, while the event was passing, no way to ask yourself such a question. But after that, when I was back to Lome and when I was doing testimony to my, because I'm a Christian, okay, then when I was, I was together with my, my brothers and sisters in Christ, I told myself that Whatever the case, even if CAF and uh, Angola has to be, you know, to be judged, we Togolese, we have to ask ourselves, because it's not the first time that we were getting into such a problem. I'm used to tell to others that we have to meditate and ask our, our, ourselves these questions. Why is it that every time it is our, our land, why, why? We have to, to meditate and to find out the, the conclusion. Without the conclusion, no. Your colleagues who died, I suppose you'll never forget them. No. You know, <laughs> we don't know where to, 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 to describe what happened because, you know, the coach who died, it was one of the best, if not the best, in Togo just now, now, nowadays. Okay? And the journalist is also one of the best. If you see us, you could notice that we were weeping and weeping and weeping, and you cannot conciliate us. We cannot, we cannot forget them. We cannot. Well, what a huge tragedy that was. Uh, from our archives, that's Sam Elitzer, who was Togo's technical director in 2010, speaking on the attack on the Togo team bus in Cabinda, ahead of the 2010 Nations Cup in Angola. Now, Kajavi Abelale, who was given that CAF Special Recognition Award last week, was initially reported to have died after being shot in the lower back. He suffered damage to his spine, intestines, liver and bladder and had eight major operations. It was the end of his playing career, but Obelal has done much to help others since then, launching an initiative to use football to increase awareness of the benefits of practising sustainable agriculture. He also set up an organisation working with children with special needs, helping them through football. Well, Ida, we can easily forget these tragic incidents, but uh, it's important to remember... Definitely, Steve. And I'm actually really glad that CAF finally took the opportunity to recognize not just Obilale, but the entire tragedy. Because later, it was reported that several people actually helped make Obilale's situation a bit easier. You know, individuals such as uh, former teammate Emmanuel Adebayo, you know, Cameroon legend Samuel Leto, all donated to his cause. It later emerged that FIFA actually reimbursed his medical expenses and you even had the French Football Federation chip in. So it seemed like everyone was trying to help the situation, everyone except CAF, that at the time did nothing and, if I may put it bluntly, actually made the situation worse by banning Togo from the Afghan for four years because of something in my personal view, I felt was very justified, the team pulling out of the competition after such a tragedy. So it's finally good to see Calf paying homage. Um, Elitza's account there, well, 
it's still as sad and still as powerful now, Steve, as I can imagine it was a decade ago. Generally, all in all, I do pray for healing for all those who were involved, Steve, and all those who were affected. Praying for better times ahead. Yes, that was such a sad incident and a great that Kaf did recognise a Kojovi Obelale at the awards ceremony last week. Thanks, Ida. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Well, now we turn to social media. And at the recent Kaf Awards, Senegal and Liverpool forward Sadio Mane won the African Player of the Year award for the first time. But there were plenty of talking points and controversies as Mohamed Salah and Riyad Mahrez didn't attend the ceremony. Nigeria and Barcelona forward Asi Satoshwala was named the African Women's Player of the Year but highly rated China-based Malawi and Tabitha Chawenga wasn't in the top three. The men's team of the year had no Nigerians, despite Odion Igalo taking the golden boot at the Nations Cup and Wilfred Ndidi having great form for club and country. Liverpool defender Joel Matip was there, even though he hasn't made himself available for the Cameroon national team since 2016. So last week we asked, what's your reaction to the awards? Here's Planet Sport Football Africa's Adrian Barnard. Thanks, Steve. And we start today on WhatsApp with Clement in the Ivory Coast, who says, I think it's absolutely disrespectful when a player finds out he's not winning any award and then boycotts the ceremony. However, for Mane, I congratulate him on winning the award. He really deserves it. On the men's team of the year, I think Wilfred Ndidi should have made the team just because he's been fantastic for both Nigeria and his club team, Leicester. And Lamine Yusufa Cole in the Gambia agrees with Mane's award. I congratulate my big brother Sadio Mane for the great work in his career, says Lamine. He really deserves every piece of the title and I'm so proud of him. I only wish my country, the Gambia, had a player of that calibre like him. And Muno John in Zambia also agrees. Sadio Mane deserves the award, says Muno. But I must be honest for once and say I thought Mares would win because of Algeria coming out on top against Mane and Senegal in the AFCON final. But I guess Mane's club form was better than that of Mares. But Amadou Jallo in the Gambia thinks the award should have gone to the Algerian. I think Mares deserved the award, says Amadou, after winning the Africa Cup of Nations with great individual performances and also winning the EPL, the Caribou Cup and the FA Cup with Manchester City. On the issue of Matip, we want and respect players who love their home and race as Africans to be named in our African Team of the Year. To Sierra Leone now, and Mohamed says, Overall, the awards were good, especially for the Men's Player of the Year, Sadio Mane. Say what you may, but I think he deserved it. For other areas of the awards, even though they are not too well accepted by the people, they're good too for me, says Mohamed. And Moses got in touch from Malawi. It's always funny when it comes to awards, says Moses. Selfishness causes players to fail to attend these galas. It's not good when it shows no one is humble enough to respect another player when he does well. As for Tabitha Chawinga, she is Malawian and Malawi is nowhere on the map, so it's no wonder that she can't make it. And Lamine Sisse in the Gambia also has a view on the women's awards. As for Oshwala, well I think she deserves it after playing for FC Barcelona in Europe's top flight. 
Her playing time was so good and consistency was high too. She really deserved her award, says Lamine. Mamadou Bar, also in the Gambia, says Mane winning the award was absolutely deserved, but Salah being absent was really shocking. As for Mares, well, he was engaged in a Carabao Cup game against United, which was understandable. And Geshom Nayati in the UK has something to add on the same issue. I do not buy the criticism aimed at some players nominated for the Continental Awards who do not attend the crowning ceremony, says Geshom. There's a lot to it. Professional footballers have tight demanding schedules, but the sense of patriotism should also be in their minds so as to genuinely win the hearts of the people. Olatunde Adeleke is a Nigerian living in the Gambia. Regarding the absence of any Nigerian players in the men's team of the year, I'm sorry, but since the era of our players of the late 1990s, such as Rashid Yakini, Kanu, Charibo West and others, I've never seen any outstanding player like any of those players. So we don't deserve to have any Nigerians in the team of the year today. That era made me proud as a Nigerian when it comes to football, says Olatunde. Sajib Conte in the Gambia says, in my opinion, Sadio Mane and Asisat Oshwala deserved their awards. But for the CAF Men's Team of the Year, I think Wilfred Ndidi and Odion Igalo deserved a place instead of Joel Matip and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. I also believe Iasa Mandi of Real Batis and Algeria deserved a place in the team too. And finally, Kayasun Sise in the Gambia says, The exclusion of Igalo from the Men's Team of the Year was, I think, a wrong decision and not fair after his performance at AFCON 2019. And I have a concern too, says Kayasun. I think this award should be given to African-based players or to those players playing in the African Championship instead of African players overseas. And we've had many other comments this week too, Steve, congratulating Sadio Mane and commenting on various aspects of the awards. It's just a shame we couldn't include them all, but it is an indication of just how much the CAF awards seem to have gripped everyone this time around. Thanks very much, Adrian. Uh, really interesting comments indeed. And uh, on that suggestion from uh, Kayasan, the award for the best player in Africa came back this time, having not been there for the previous two years. And the winner was Youssef Belaili of Esperance, the Tunisian club. Uh, Belaili himself is Algerian. Let's go to the English Premier League now as our European football expert Stuart Weir joins us from the UK. Liverpool against Manchester United this weekend's big game as they meet at Anfield on Sunday. So little doubt that Liverpool are going to win their first title in 30 years. Now we're looking at them breaking records. 61 points from 21 games makes it the best ever start to a season by a club in Europe's top five leagues. The Reds are now over a year unbeaten in the league and 38 games without defeat. And Stuart, some are wondering if they can beat Arsenal's record of 49 games unbeaten. Yes, indeed, Steve. Liverpool's win at Tottenham last weekend was their 20th and 21 fixtures this season. And as you say, they're closing in on that Arsenal record of 49 games unbeaten set 15 years ago. And amazingly, if they have no games postponed, Liverpool's 49th game will be away to Manchester City. What a place to have to get a result to equal the record. But you know, Steve, while it is true that Liverpool are chasing the Arsenal record, arguably Liverpool's achievement is already superior to Arsenal. 
Arsenal's unbeaten season saw them win 26 games and draw 12. But Liverpool, with 17 games to play this season, have already won 20. And if you look at the 49-game unbeaten run for Arsenal, that was 36 wins and 13 draws. But Liverpool's 38-game unbeaten stretch is 34 wins. So Liverpool are winning significantly more games than Arsenal did. And, you know, there are other records that Liverpool are closing in on. Manchester City hold the record for the most consecutive home Premier League wins at 20, but Liverpool are on 18. City also have the longest run of wins at 18, but Liverpool are already on 12. But one thing that fascinates me about this is that this season there have been six Premier League strikers who've scored 13 or more goals in the season, but no one from Liverpool. Their top scorer is Sadio Mane on 11. And, you know, while Liverpool are 14 points clear of Manchester City, they've scored 12 less goals than City. I think you could say also that Liverpool's march towards the Premier League title is helped by not having an outstanding rival. Manchester City are second, but have played an extra game. Leicester are further two points behind. Chelsea six behind Leicester. And Manchester United in fifth, further five points behind. So it's certainly helping Liverpool that no one is breathing down their neck. Last weekend, Arsenal drew 1-1 with Crystal Palace. And Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang from Gabon gave Arsenal an early lead. But then was controversially red-carded for a tackle on Max Mayer which the referee saw as a yellow card, only to have VAR decided should be red. Palace equaliser came from their Ghanaian striker, Jordan Ayew. But something else which was a bit disturbing about Arsenal's performance is that they committed 22 fouls in that game. And in the four games that Mikel Arteta has been in charge, they've committed 59 fouls, which is the highest number for any new manager's first four games for three years. And, you know, Arteta has has work cut out at Arsenal because they've got five points in those four games, which is the worst start by an Arsenal manager for 100 years. And they're currently in 10th place, 11 points out of the Champions League places. And if the season were to end this week, Arsenal would not even make the Europa League. So it's a tough time for Arteta there. Incidentally, one odd fact about that game was the Arsenal manager Arteta is 37 and his counterpart at Crystal Palace, Roy Hodgson, 35 years older. But, you know, as everyone else seems to struggle, it simply confirms what we are thinking, that Liverpool, unless they completely implode, will romp to the title and by a large margin. Well, they surely will, and uh, Reds fans around Africa and around the world are looking forward to that. And Stuart, the surprise team of the season so far is Sheffield United in sixth place and above the likes of Tottenham, Arsenal and Everton. Absolutely. If you don't know your geography, by the way, Sheffield is an industrial city in the north of England with a population of half a million people. And 30,000 of them watch Sheffield United's home games each week. But... It's a fascinating rags to riches story, really, because when Chris Wilder became manager of Sheffield United in the 2016-17 season, they were in League One. That is the third tier of English football. Wilder got them promoted to the championship in his first season, and after two years in the championship, he got them into the Premier League. 
It's the third time the club has been in the Premier League. They were founder members in 1992, but were relegated after two seasons. And in 2006, they were promoted, but only lasted one season. To be honest, I think at the beginning of this season, they would have been most people's favourites to be one of the three clubs to go straight down. In recent years, 36 points has been enough for survival, and Sheffield United already have 32 points with 16 games to go. And frankly, if they stay where they are, they will be in the Europa League. Another interesting thing about them is that Sheffield United is the most British of clubs in the Premier League, with only two players not from the British Isles playing this season. That's Lise Mousset from France, who started about half the games, and Mohamed Besic uh, from Bosnia, uh, who's actually on loan from Everton and has only had one start this season. And not since the Liverpool team of 1996 has there been a Premier League team so reliant on British players. But the other thing which is great about Sheffield United is they have no star players as such, and they made no major signings in the summer. So it's effectively the same players who got promotion from the Championship, and they're more than holding their own in the Premier League. So that's a nice story in the midst of some of the frustrations that we sometimes talk about. Yes, really amazing, especially as Sheffield United didn't make any major signings. Well, thanks, Stuart. So we'll see if Liverpool can stay unbeaten this weekend as they take on Manchester United on Sunday. That's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi, and from Stuart Weir and Adrian Barnard in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.